Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Please note, this episode includes some descriptions of sexual misconduct. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, so what are you doing on lot today? I'm selling jewelry and bad advice. So could you give me some bad advice? Sure. Uh, when you go on the concert, if you want to take a picture, make sure your flash is on. Like, I'll be giddy when the lights go down. So when the lights drop, usually I continue to sit on the floor for a while because immediately you have everyone get up and then like this push towards the front where everyone just like tries to step up at the same time. And that's when all of the space that you've been holding before the show, you immediately lose it. I'm not stressing out about anything because when I go in there and the lights go on and those guys walk on stage, my heart is filled, I'm complete, nothing else matters. When the lights go down at the show, Peace, it's home. The lights go down and every single conversation ends. I'm nervous, you know? It's like this anxious feeling of like, okay, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Like, do I have everything I need? Those were thoughts from Ashley Griffin, Don Jenkins, and Drew Hitz. They're fans of the band Fish. And now let's cut to Andy Greenberg, who plays the starring role of Trey Anastasio in the band Runaway Gin. When I first started going back to fish shows in 2009, I, I started to realize that throughout the decade before that, I had developed certain anxiety about something. And I, I don't really know what it was, but I definitely felt 
like myself and everybody around me were kind of like very, very frantic and very volatile. People could get angry. If somebody was running late, people could get impatient and, and not be as courteous and kind as they normally would. Somebody would jump in front of someone. Somebody would do things that they wouldn't normally do because of this anxiety, this pre-show jitters kind of thing. And so I had to work really hard to take all that energy around me and, and not let it affect me. What I, what I realized is that that anxiety wasn't really coming from inside of me. I felt like it was coming from outside of me and the things around me. Eventually became able to put myself into kind of a zen state where nothing would really bother me leading up to a show and I couldn't be frazzled and like a, putting up a, a psychic protective cocoon around myself so that no matter what happened, I still was going to be in that right hand space when the show started and I wouldn't have to waste those first moments or songs trying to get my head in the game. I wanted to be prepared as quickly as possible to jump right into it. Once I started playing shows more and uh, bigger shows, it's the exact same ability that I have to use being on the road. You know, stuff's going wrong. You're getting stressed about this. You have an argument with your bandmate. You don't have a chance to eat. Your food is bad and you, you know, whatever, you know, just random stuff happens. You you can use that exact same skill set in so many aspects of your life. So the answer, yes, I uh, definitely have pre-show anxiety, but I've been able to, to conquer it and it still affects me sometimes, but not nearly, not nearly as much. And I have used that ability that I gained from, from coping with that in, in many other aspects of life, for sure. Despite knowing that it's going to go fantastically well and you're going to be stoked, you're fucking draped in anxiety and paralyzed by it. Your palms are sweaty. Every conversation you're having, you are totally dialed out of. You are just numb with anxiety. And then the lights go down. And that shit goes away fast. And that was Ari Smith. Dude, you're going to be all right, I promise. Let's cut to photographer Andrea Nusinoff, whose work you've likely seen before, either on the internet or hanging in someone's living room. Officially an unofficial photographer, Andrea shoots not from the stage or the photo pit, but from various spaces throughout the audience. So when you see her photos enlarged, they give you a snapshot of what the show actually looked like to attend, forever frozen in time. Andrea's works often capture and highlight Chris Carota's lights, just as much as they do the band that plays below them. I want to have a great time. I want to be with my friends. I, I dance with the camera in my hand. And when a moment hears and Crota does something spectacular and my eyes are just, you know, wide, and that's when I snap pictures. What is my feeling when the lights drop? Like, you know, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's great. It's like, yeah, I think it's such an amazing experience. It's that like anticipation, like, what are they going to play? And again, just that feeling of like, oh, I'm psyched to be here. That, yeah, it's a moment of just like gratitude. It's like you've been waiting for it all day. <laughs> you know, you've been like thinking about it, planning for it. Like, I'm always, yeah, in a like, space of chaos beforehand. So it's kind of that like, Whew, okay, here we go. <laughs> For Bella Anastasio, when the lights drop, it doesn't just mean all eyes on the band, it means all eyes on her dad, Ernest Giuseppe Anastasio, or Trey for short. 
it like when I was a little kid I didn't care about the music at all I did not get it I was not interested but the lights when you're a little kid you can get that that and the glow sticks like I was super into the glow sticks as a little kid so I that was like my absolute favorite piece and I still like you know obviously they're like Corona is incredible but a lot of the time I'm not looking <laughs> like I do have like obviously those moments it's just like whoa or I'll just get lost in it and just like but a lot of the time when I'm dancing my eyes are closed the moment the house lights go down at fish is the moment Chris Corota's lights turn on and you tune in by tuning everything else out. Everything else is suddenly extraneous. If you're a marathon runner, it's kind of like the explosion of the starting gun. You knew it was coming, you were laser focused on it for so long, but it still shocks your system every time. And now that it happened, you're off to the races. All the many things that had to happen for you to get there, in that place, at that time, the time off from your daily duties, the impractical travel arrangements, the weeks of planning and preparation, the days and hours of anticipation, all come to a head in some ways before the very first note is played. Like, right before that, anything is possible. The show hasn't even begun, but it starts now. But for me, I mean, Fish is like the soundtrack of my life. It's provided me, obviously, with, you know, my greatest of friends, my husband. Um, it's taken me all over the country. It's taken me international. Um, I've gotten to meet all walks of life. Uh, it's a place to celebrate. It's a place of bliss. It's a place of healing. It's really, you know, a community. So I would say that, you know, my parents, my schooling, they provided we me with the foundations of, you know, my life. But Fish has provided me with the archetype of the kind of life I want to live. Seeing fish and all of the experiences within have 100% made me who I am today. I mean, someone who's seen 600 shows, it is insane. But <laughs> um, there's something to be said about that insanity of what it means to us and Lacey and I. When, when we are seeing fish, everything else kind of fades. There's just nothing like it. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, but it's, it's a church for us, you know, where we go and and we're able to basically meditate and to be at peace and to absolve the energy of what the, the band is producing. And it's just something that it's an addiction. And obviously, 600 shows later, I'm an addict. <laughs> You've all heard the expression, lights, camera, action. Well, in the fish scene, the call to action might be something more like lights, lighters, runaway gym. It's that moment when the lights go down, the energy goes up, and with the flip of a switch, everything changes. 
Everybody in yet? A transformation has taken place. In the parlance of Gamehenge, you'd say that Colonel Forbin just stepped through the door. In layman's terms, it's showtime. There, it's like a scientific thing. Like there's a, a third energy that's created between the band and the audience. And I don't get that anywhere else. And it's all about the intensity of that many people so focused on one thing. Like you can anticipate where it's going. Like everyone can. It's, it's a magical thing that like we're all like locked into the source together and the band is a conduit for it. It's the only show that like I walk out feeling like victorious. We're all home and and the connection that we have with the band and that the band has with us, it has become such an organism of itself of this like breathing heartbeat. Like we all, it, it, it really just feeds off of each other. And previously on Undermine. In college, we heard about this band, Fish. We sent blank cassette tapes in the mail to get their live recordings sent to us from some kind stranger. Then we ricocheted around various pockets of the internet to find out what they were saying in You Enjoy Myself. That summer, we hit a great American highway. Pulled into the lot where we bought a grilled cheese, a pale ale, and a strange balloon. Anxious for the main event, we made our way inside the venue where we made friends with like-minded fans and... Three, two, one. On this episode of Undermine, we'll spend the next hour inside that moment when it all happens. The lights go down and... Hold that thought. We'll be right back. People talk about moments where like they got it or it clicked or something. And like this was like a fucking light bulb going off or like exploding, you know, in my brain. And like it all made sense to me afterwards. You know, like we went to a campground afterwards and we had a fire and we were, you know, smoking all night. And it was just this like completely revolutionary experience for me. And like, frankly, that's Dave Calarco's voice. But Mr. Miner's words, I'll explain later. Yeah, so the fish experience is, I guess, in a nutshell, I mean, it's just really multifaceted, really cuts to the core of what I hold dear about life. So, well, particularly at that time, I was definitely like, I want to go up front. I want to, you know, like, I want to be up in Trey's face. Let's go up there. And like most fish fans, I am not there to have a conversation with the person that I came with. Meet fish fan Ashley Griffin. Like, I am there to totally get lost in the music, dance my ass off, connect with the band, have this special moment, like, walk out feeling satisfied. And her friend Lacey. I actually met her on Fantasy Tour, and the first time we met was at IT, and it was um, during the ghost... Lacey Bond. 
left, it was super muddy, and I had, was, I had gone to the bathroom, I think, or something, and I was coming back, and I saw this awesome dancer just getting down, working the mud, and I was just checking her out, and then I realized, oh, that's Ashley, who I've been chatting with for two years online. And I dance really big, and keep in mind, like, I have been going to a lot of raves at this point in time and got very heavily into electronic music. So I was going out dancing really, really frequently. Um, and it definitely has impacted the way that I dance at fish shows for sure. I think there's a really huge therapeutic element to going to a fish show and feeling like there's this larger thing that you can be a part of. And particularly for like people that haven't necessarily felt super understood or like didn't feel like they had their people or their tribe to suddenly discover this like whole world. And I don't know how Trey does it, but like he does a really good job of making people feel seen. Like, I know so many, there's just, like, every show, there's, like, five people that think that that song was for them. Like, so many people walk out with this super special, personal fish experience. And at heart, aren't we all just trying to feel seen and understood in this life? In addition to their love for the band, which ignited their friendship, Lacey and Ashley are part of a scene within a scene, the Rail Riders. With a reputation for fiercely defending their dance space and barking at outsiders, the people who dance in the front few rows at seemingly every show have been called lots of things, not necessarily flattering, but also not necessarily deserved. For shows where the space in front of the band is general admission, which these days are most shows, Fish worked on creating a system that would regulate and control who got to be up front, while also making sure that the process was open to anyone willing to put in the time and effort. You know, before the lottery system was instilled, like the craziness, how intense it was getting, the drama, the infighting between people. I would be like, oh, how are the shows? And like, you're all about like, line drama and this and that and i was like oh wow there's okay so i don't want to deal with any of that it's much easier to be a solo person down there once you get locked into the group and the group dynamics of things you're like coordinating spaces for much larger groups of people like there's just a lot more things to consider people aren't hiring people stand in line for them I have to meet all my neighbors around me. I want it to be an area of comfort. So whether that's on the rail or 10 rows back or in the stands, I am gonna meet my neighbors. I want people to be comfortable. I actually love doing shows next to new people and like, you know, there'll be kids and they'll all be holding their jackets and like looking uncomfortable. And I'm like, hey guys, put your jackets over here and we'll hold your space when you go to the bathroom. And it just sort of like makes the vibe better. So I feel like upfront people are really in tune to that. If fish is a sport you watch from home, meaning the live streams, you may notice that while the venues change, in Mexico you see palm trees, whereas at the gorge, it's the Columbia River. There is a certain consistency from night to night. Obviously the stage looks pretty much the same. There's Paige, Trey, Fish, and Mike left to right. There's the light rig everyone keeps talking about. Paige may have a new shirt, but hey, look, it's the dude in the front row. Look closer and you'll find the first few rows have many of the same faces night after night. How does that happen? Not by accident. 
So, let's raise the curtain on another fish mystery. Well, I'm Derek Gregory, and I'm a longtime fish fan, taper, and just a general aficionado of all things fish and tray. <laughs> My first show was 5392 at the Michigan State University Ballroom in East Lansing, Michigan. One friend I know who, who made a lot of great tapes, his Copenhagen tapes are, are absolutely gorgeous and famous, Derek Gregory. Uh, tweet prize on Twitter. There's a few other people who were over there making tapes, but I, I know Derek did did most of the run, and, and they made some fantastic tapes that summer. That was the voice of Craig Hillwig, noting Derek's notoriety as a taper. But many people know Derek for another reason. He used to be a staple on the rail. That is to say, he was always in the front row. You show up at like 4 p.m. and then they give out wristbands, you know, Richard's uh, assistant. Richard is Richard Glasgow, Fish's tour manager, known colloquially as Dickie Scotland. Would give like a a fish question, like a trivia question, and whoever gets that right would get the the number one wristband. So like there's nobody waiting out overnight, there's none of that craziness. And so then let's just say you have a hundred people. And then like maybe number 39 is the person that that gets that trivia question. So that number 39, I guess, and he turns into number one and then 40 turns into number two. So if you're 37, then you're 100. <laughs> like all fish traditions, the general admission lottery system was derived from years of trial and error, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Things got pretty ugly in terms of like towards the end of that whole system because everybody was cutthroat. People were just trying to figure out, you know, how to get up front and just doing things that weren't that cool. Before the system changed, people were leaving the shows during the show to go get in line to spend the night. And it's for the next show. For the next show. And so anybody who's there for the music cannot comprehend this behavior because. We want to see the show, first of all. We want to stay there to thank the band and to have this distraction of people just leaving when the show is raging. And it's it's really, it's rude and it's counter to fish. I mean, if you're there to see fish, you should see all of fish. We might not be front row every single night, but we know that it's going to be fair and we're, you know, for the most part, going to be as close as we can be. Um, and now we don't have any of the, you know, the hassles of dealing or having to go get in line or do those things, which is wonderful. It got just out of hand, but when you're down there and you're in the front, you know, there's a, a, a very high level of intensity. And I've evolved personally from the, when I first started seeing fish up front in 1997 to now, I used to be a lot more aggressive towards fans. And I probably wasn't the nicest person or soul to others who would come into my space. Um, Now, you know, I'm still not the nicest, but I try to lead with kindness.
Under the fish big top, there's everything from rodeo clowns to daredevils, and, as we're finding out, a cast of characters as varied as the band's musical terrain. One such character is Dave Kalarka, who many of you know as Mr. Minor, and you may know of him because of his blog, Mr. Minor's Fish Thoughts. If Fish is playing a show that night, chances are he's there, and you can reliably find him in the ever-changing area inside the venue where the ratio of sound and dance space is just right. Thank you, Mr. Minor. book I, I published, which was a, uh, a compilation of a lot of the writings I had online, plus a lot of new stuff that I had written. I wrote an introductory essay with the title, What is Fish? I break it down into like six different things, six different categories of like what fish kind of means to me. Fish is a lot of different things to me. Obviously, First, they're a band who plays like the most incredible improvisational music I've ever heard. And so from a, a strictly like music fan perspective, who ever since I got into Duran Duran at age seven, was like a fanatical music person. They fulfilled that part of me. Obviously, Fish is a community as, as well. You know, the Fish experience is a huge part of it. Like throughout all those years of seeing Fish, I've formed lifelong relationships with the closest people in my life to this day. There is a huge aspect of friendship and camaraderie and community that defines what the fish experience is to me as well. Going through those experiences with people strengthens bonds in a way that like doesn't happen outside of fish. You know, it, it really accelerates friendships in a way that you know, would probably take years and years if you could ever reach that point in a relationship outside of fish. Like there's this common understanding of experience, of, of spirituality, of, you know, there's, there's a lot that you share with people that creates bonds that need not even be spoken, that really can create a depth to friendships so quickly and easily. And so there's a huge communal aspect to, to, to fish for me. The fish experience to me is also an incredibly spiritual experience. It is, you know, a portal to truth. At fish throughout the years, I've had veils of existence lifted from me. And I've, you know, through the combination of psychedelic exploration, these guided psychedelic journeys that the band takes you on, both through the unknown and through yourself. I've learned a lot spiritually through my fish experience. Um, I feel like the whole concept of individuality is kind of stripped away at fish, where like there's this experience that everyone is involved in and it becomes so much larger than any one person. It becomes so much larger than the band. It becomes so much larger than you or me. You know, I feel that fish is our way, our pathway of attaining these experiences, of understanding the universe with which we live in and minuscule place that each of us have, but also the one force that we are all a part of. When writing this essay, I went back through a lot of different interviews from the earlier days of Fish's career when they actually talked about this stuff. And they've all espoused similar 
understandings of the experience for themselves, you know? And so it was really cool to uncover those, those quotes from them from when they were kind of really coming up and experiencing this stuff from their perspective, but they kind of provide the access to it all on some level. But you know, the way Trey talks about it is that like, he's just channeling it all and he's just taking it out from the universe and sending it through his portal to, to everyone else. Thank you, Mr. Miner. We'll be right back. My first show was 51994. Um, so we had computers, but there wasn't really a fish uh, internet site that I was aware of at the time. And um, when I moved to LA from Eugene, went to University of Oregon, I was feeling like I needed to connect with my fish people again. And so I found there was a site off of Gadiel's page, it was called Groovy Zone. So I was a big member of that. And then I was playing the games on Fantasy Tour and I didn't know that there was a message board. And I was actually pretty good at the games. It was coming up with like first set opener, wild card, closer, encore, etc. I signed up in 99 for that. And one day my friend Brian was like, why aren't you on the message board? And I had no clue there was one. So from then on, it was kind of, uh, <laughs> it was over. I was pretty addicted to um, PT and the message board. Uh, some people out there may know me as Tabuti because of growing up on a llama farm. I found that my community was all over the US and I was able to connect with them online. So I was really into the message boards back then as a way to meet people to meet up to go to shows with and just to be able to talk fish uh, living in LA, not having many friends here that liked fish at the time. Lacey first met fellow fan Carrie Gutman at a fish show and a rail rider marriage was born. Here's Carrie, whom you heard from earlier, but we never formally introduced. Let's meet him now. I mean, right away, I instantly had an instant attraction to Lacey and I, hell or high water, I was going to be in her life in some shape or form. Um, so I, back then I was doing something that in my mind aligned with what she was doing in her life professionally. So I used that as my angle to tap into her life. And we began to communicate and then talk fish and one thing led to another. Like attracts like. And so it makes perfect sense from a scientific standpoint that fish shows attract fish fans and single fish fans would be attracted to other single fish fans. 
Sometimes fish fans even find each other on dating apps because they drop in secret winks like Washa Ufizi drive me to Firenze, or there's a picture of them wearing something with fish donuts on it. The secret language of a secret society. But, during shows, innocent flirtations sometimes turn into unwelcome advances. That's also a thing. What pulls me out of the moment the absolute most is when there is a dude next to me who keeps roping me but pretending that he's dancing into me. It is the most obnoxious thing. It happens at shows all the time. Like, it is so hard as a woman just to hold a normal amount of space without someone coming up and pressing their entire body into you. And you're like, I know that you know that I'm standing here. And I know, I wish that I didn't have to literally keep being mindful of protecting myself. And not in an overt way, but just like, how I'm constantly like dancing so that I don't touch you, but you keep coming closer to me. So how do I do this? So that takes me out of the moment tremendously. People are, that are talking do, do as well. Up front, that, does, that shit doesn't fly. Everyone is super fucking respectful up front. While that experience is not a defining trait of fish shows, it is common enough that someone decided that something needed to be done about it. And that someone is a different Ashley, Ashley Driscoll founder of GrooveSafe. I mean, I had people tell me, oh, I'm, I'm, I get touched so much, I'm, I'm numb to it. And to me, I feel like that shouldn't be the way. I feel like educating and letting people know that, first of all, it's not okay, and, and second of all, that it is happening, and more often than people are even talking about. I mean, everything from grinding or, or like a butt grab to, you know, much more involved negative experiences, I guess. Think about it like the one in maybe 10 shows I would have an experience where someone touched my body without my permission. There's a scale of, of different ways that happened, um, but there was plenty of moments that were extremely uncomfortable for me, and it made me not want to see shows anymore. GrooveSafe is a movement to stop unwanted touching and um, sexual misconduct within the live music scene, and our focus is on um, building a consent culture where it becomes normal for people <laughs> to ask permission. People need to like look and when they see a, a woman clearly being harassed by some dude, not to just ignore it and be like, oh, like, you know, like he's not wearing her down. He's just totally ruining her night. It did start as an awareness movement because I think that number one is letting people know that it's happening because you can't change things that people, you know, you have to educate in order to change, I think. My first fish show was um, Coventry. I was uh, 21 and I had been listening to fish for many years and never had an opportunity to go. And then when it was announced it was their goodbye shows, I basically was like, I, I gotta go. I gotta see fish before they aren't playing anymore. That live music experience could be like because it really is one of those the more you put into it the more you get out of it sort of deals the more obsessed that i got with it the more enjoyment i got out of it 
like I had some failed romantic encounters because the expectations that I was going to be there, like on an active date with them. And I was like in show mode. <laughs> no, that didn't work out well. They're like, oh, you didn't come to hang out with me at all. And I'm like, no, God, no, what a show, please. Trey's way more interesting. Come on. <laughs> I obsessively watch the stage during the setup and the set break because I love their crew. I miss Brian Brown immensely and used to love when he would come out and tune Trey's guitar, Trey's guitar and make all the little Trey faces and just be silly up there and he's such a weird dude. So, you know, if you've seen them enough, you know, like they were playing Earth, Wind & Fire greatest hits all the time. And like, I knew where on the album, like it was within like a song or two of this. So I was like, all right, we gotta get back. Like here we are in Earth & Fire. I can sense when it's coming. If I have bass, like if I, if it's a GA situation, I am very intense about space. That is a quality that I share with the upfront people for sure. And it's one of the reasons why I am usually welcomed in that area if I have done the appropriate things to get there. Because if I don't wait, I'm not gonna go up. If there's something happens where I get tied up and I can't get there by the lottery and I'm way back, I'm just gonna text my friends and be like, hey, I'll see you afterwards. It's a little bit of a misconception that drugs and alcohol are the only reason, but obviously people at concerts are gonna be partaking and consuming um, at a different level than they would at, you know, on a Tuesday at lunch break or whatever. But I think just in pure numbers and that possibility of con consumption. And then also, I think some of it goes into that kind of free love and peace and worse, like you said before, like some things weren't talked about or they were perceived as okay, where now it's just really not okay and it never has been. But that's why we're here now, making sure that people know no matter what you think, this is not okay. And that you can't touch someone's body without their permission. No matter how much you love them or how much you want to hug them or, you know, how good you're feeling or how you came up on some drugs. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You still absolutely need consent to follow through with those behaviors. Because it's not about what you want, really. It's about what the other person feels comfortable with. And that's up to you to get that information from them. These unwelcome aspects aren't just something that happens to women. Men have experienced similar violations, like fan arts Pete Mason. I was at a show and somebody grabbed my ass. And it wasn't like a you know a buddy of mine just coming up and it happened. And I was like, what? The? And among our small group of friends, I couldn't figure out what happened. I was like, it felt a little weird. So for a minute or two, I was a little, you know, shaken. But I kind of got it right there from her. Like, okay, that's what it's like and it's far more rampant for women. I'm, it's really important to me that we represent all genders because uh, you'd be surprised on how many men and women experience these kind of unwanted advances. Pete remembers when Ashley came up with the idea for GrooveSafe. So I, I, I will just say that I take absolutely no credit for GrooveSafe. Um, yeah, that's all Ashley's idea, but when she presented it to me, I was in more of a state of shock that it was a thing because it was just around the time of Me Too starting to be a thing. But the concept of grabbing somebody's ass while dancing just seems like your parents would have taught you better. You know, it's just a basic human decency thing. So I, I was like, I, I, I'm pretty sure I said it was like, wait, is this a real issue? 
because if it is, I really want to help you. I think the first, I, I know I wrote the first press for on New York State Music and that was in the fall of 2017. And she just started to grow from there. And, and it was like, it was all, you know, it's her baby. But I was like, listen, get some shirts, get this, work on this, make sure you have this taken care of, get a Twitter, get an Instagram, you know, do all the basic things, anything she could because she was going to be onto something and she is. My experience is that I have seen more fish shows than any other shows, but as far as feedback goes, it is happening everywhere and even outside the jam band community. And that's why the verbal communication, I think, is really important. And it might be awkward to ask someone if they want to dance, you know, by using your words, but who cares if it's awkward? You will get that consent. The person can decide if they want to dance with you or not, or, you know, just because you catch someone's eye doesn't necessarily mean that they want you to touch them. So I think that's part of breaking that awkwardness. Being obsolete was, was and is my goal. I mean, I, not having to teach people how to respect each other would be ideal, um, but I think it's gonna take a while. Let me just interject here to say, come on guys, we know what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, and most of us don't need to be told, or even reminded. But clearly, some people do. So let's make sure that they know their behavior won't be tolerated and that fish shows aren't a place they can get away with it. Hopefully one day soon, Ashley can pack up the table and come back down on the floor where the other Ashley, Ashley Griffin, is currently raging, holding down her personal amount of dance space. Like, I'm real big on, like, we all paid this amount of money, so we all have the same right to have an experience. My experience isn't going to intrude upon your experience. When your experience intrudes upon mine, then we have an issue. This is the conversation I have with people that sing. I am the person that will be like, yo, you, stop singing. And they're like, what? I paid for my ticket. And I'm like, yeah, but we all paid for our ticket and we're shutting the fuck up, so. Maybe this is why so many people go to fish shows alone. It can be easier to achieve a state of transcendence when you don't have talkative buddies taking you out of the moment. I, I wouldn't say it felt like a boys club, but it definitely felt like a sausage fest. It wasn't, I didn't feel unsafe. I definitely felt like I was a small portion of the audience as, as a woman, as a, as a young woman. And, and I never had a bad experience, although I know people have, but, you know, it still felt, you know, although part of me thought it was cool, right? Here are all these dudes doing this and I'm doing it too. <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't need to be a dude to like music and travel around and see this band. I can do it myself. It was definitely easier when I had a group of women to do it with, you know? You're hearing the voice of Jen Moore, a fellow fish fan and a real funky bitch. Easy Tiger, that's not my description of her. The Funky Bitches are a group of female fish fans that predates the fish chicks as a sub-community. But, you know, it's still intimidating to think about doing that traveling, and it certainly is a heck of a lot easier to see more fish if you have people to do it with. You know, financially, like I was 21, pretty broke, but scraping it together however I could. And, you know, here was, for me, the Funky Bitches was this group of women who felt really safe. I could say, I want to go to this show. Is anybody going to it? And I could automatically have a ride, have a place to stay. Someone picked me up at the airport. It didn't matter if I had met them or not. It just was this instant safe place to start, you know, to do more fish exploring. And I'm really grateful for that group. I don't know if I 
would have been able to see as much fish without that without that group of women. I definitely get nervous. I mean, I probably check to make sure we have the tickets at least a hundred times before we even leave the house between, you know, in the, in the 48 hour period, I had a bad, I had lost my ticket once. And so I have some latent anxiety about it and definitely, you know, depending on if it's a summer show and like trying to figure out what I'm going to pack and am I getting on a plane? And if I'm getting on a plane, how am I dealing with things I don't want to have on a plane? But yeah, I get nervous and I definitely have anxiety. And actually, sometimes I feel like it's like almost like performance anxiety. Like, I'm going to get to the show. Is it going to be okay? Am I going to be dancing well enough? Am I really going to like it? Like, I go through this like crazy anxiety loop in my head. Because I think, you know, there's such a big release of emotion for me, usually at a show and for everyone. You know that that's coming, right? You know that that is going to happen. And so, of course, there's a lot of nervous energy and adrenaline leading, leading up to it. Cut to John McGar, who knows that the only real cure for pre-show anxiety is being ready for when the lights go down. I have pre-show anxiety, so (laughs) I like to get in and just at my seat and just know I'm there. I'm not going to miss the first note. Probably if a ticket says doors or rather, you know, showtime 7.30, I'm in my seat probably by 7.15, 7.30. It sucks. <laughs> you know, it's the, I guess you could put it as, as FOMO, you know. You, you don't want to miss on that first note because you just, you really don't know. You could be at a show where you miss a, a, you know, a Twee Prize opener and had you gotten in early enough, you could have seen it. Those are the moments that kind of like make me constantly anxious and like, all right, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And some people aren't like that. I get it. But I'm someone who likes to be on time, who likes to be there and just know like, all right, I'm in the building. I won't miss anything now. Twice. I missed Saratoga 09, the beginning of that show. There was a huge downpour right before the show and everybody just kind of bottlenecked into the beginning. So I missed, I think it was Llama and came in at Moma Dance, I think. Then 2019 Camden, I think it was the second night, I missed like the first four songs and it drove me nuts. And I don't know what happened that night. I don't know if they had less staff or what. There were so many people stuck out front that couldn't get in. Any other time we would have been on time, but missed the mics opener. I think we ended up coming in during Everything's Right and that, that drove me crazy. I like being with my closest friends, the people who know fish like I know fish and enjoy fish like I do. If I am with somebody who is unfamiliar, I do kind of feel like, and this is is all on me, but I kind of feel like I have to babysit and explain like what's happening or explain a a gag or or something. Yeah, prefer to be with friends who, who know fish as well as I do, have seen them just as many times or more and then in those moments everything falls away there's there's no anxiety it's that's all that exists then and that's that's what matters to me and that's the best way i can experience a show the most important thing to me in a fish show 
is that I don't care about anything else going on other than the show. I don't want anything else on my mind. I go because I want to escape. And it just, it brings me joy every time. You know, I've seen, I've seen amazing shows. I've seen not so amazing shows. Doesn't matter. I still walk out happy that I went. Let's get Scott Bernstein's take on this subject. Scott is editorial director at Jambase, which is Osiris's media partner. He owns the Yem blog Twitter handle, and he has a habit of flipping his virtual desk over when he gets excited about something. I don't like getting to shows too early. I'm not a big lot guy. And, you know, quite often when I'm sitting in my seat before the show starts, the butterfly is turning to anxiety. So I'd rather come in about 10 minutes before they go on and just have them start there. You know, I was doing my best to not have thoughts during the fish show, frankly. You know, that's, that's the goal. That was Dave Calarco, who just said that he does his best not to have thoughts during fish shows. We get it and agree, but dude, isn't your blog called Mr. Miner's Fish Thoughts? Ah, those are actually afterthoughts. We get it. So does Jason Tully, a fish fan who, like Mr. Miner, has traveled around the globe to see this American band. like four nights in a row or whatever and it's just it's that anticipation of like yes i am going to go to see a show unlike anything else i'm going to be a part of something that's unlike anything else i've ever experienced in my life and i love it i I love it i mean i've never i've never had a bad time show here at undermine we love it too so does carl gears gerhard whom you might remember from his starring role in the giant country horns That means, yes, he was at the Arrowhead Ranch show, on stage. But he also enjoys watching fish, sans horns, from the audience. I love going to fish shows with my family and my friends. You know, we all have the same interests and we both have a connection with the band. And it's just great sharing that experience with them. Also love going with fellow musicians that uh, maybe have never seen the band. And for me to uh, actually introduce them They've heard the music, but they've never been at a show. And that's where it all comes together, because that's that's where they see why they are so special. The audience is so part of the experience, right? And of course, the light show that you don't see when you're listening to them, that's icing on the cake, what Kuroda does. But just to be at a show with, with fellow musicians that have never seen them before, I guess, to see that, they're definitely part of the, the crowd that I love to go to the shows with. Now that you've made it to your seats and the ceremony has begun, you can focus on one thing, the music. The first set lasts more than an hour, but it can feel like mere minutes. And when you're truly locked into it, time stops entirely. The fish experience takes hold. Somehow, it always feels like too soon when the house lights come back on again, and it can be disorienting. The people next to you might not look the same as they did when the set began. 
They might not even be the same people. The entire venue is buzzing with energy. You see people making a mad dash for the bathroom or the beer line, while others casually sit down on the floor or take their seats. Some people look dazed. Others are eager to discuss what just went down with their friends or even strangers. Why not? You just both potentially experienced something potentially profound and certainly earth-shaking and... Want a hot dog? No? How about a drink? We'll go get it and be right back. Undermine is going to take a brief hiatus before closing out our second season. The lights are almost up on Fish's Fall 2021 tour, and we don't want to be that noisy neighbor in the seat next to you, talking your ear off during the composed part of Reba. So have great shows or live stream experiences. We'll see you back here on November 3rd. When we return, it'll still be set break, making this the longest set break ever. Yes, even longer than December 31st, 1999, for those of you keeping score. And we'll still have so much to talk about before the lights go back down for the second set. Meet back at the seats and be sure to accept any stickers or UNO cards you might get handed along the way. You won't need them later, but... Undermine is brought to you by Osiris Media, the leading music storyteller. Executive producers are Tom Marshall, RJB, Brian Brinkman, and Matt Dwyer. Written by Benji Eisen. Produced and edited by Brian Brinkman. Mixed and mastered by Matt Dwyer. Produced by David Goldstein, Jonathan Hart, Brad Tenbrook, and Don Jenkins. Production assistance and writing by Noah Eckstein and Julia Schuster. Social media by Nick Sejas. Original music by Amar Sastry. Show art by Mark Dowd. Thank you to all our interviewees. This season of Undermine is all about the fish community. And since that's you, go ahead. Get online and judge us. Please rate and review us on your podcaster. If it's favorable, that is. Oh, and your tour buddies would love a link to this episode, so don't let them down. And while you're at it, they want your extra mail orders too. Next time, not on Undermine. Fish fans think they have everything figured out. You know, like, we're pros. This is how pros do it. And so, like, there's definitely, like, if you, again, it's like the bringing the friend who's never been to a show. Like, I will recommend at this point in my life, like, lots of friends to go to a show. And they're like, oh, well, you go with me? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I won't. Because you won't have a good time with me at all. Osiris. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, 
authors and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 